You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. My homie told me that when people rise up against you, what's the sign of your destiny real? Fake ones been hating because they know that one day you're making it. Jealousy's all they can feel. Plug in the fall, drifting my soul. Pain in the future when thinking alone. About when I'm grown, already blown. How'd I get back with this beautiful home? You were the sight, beautiful life. Beautiful sex with my husband and wife. Beautiful children, people who want to come kill me because Welcome to Neurodiversity at Work. Prisoners, vagrants, vagabonds and Albert Einstein. Being neurodiverse or neurodifferent is not always easy. And we've all had to steer our way through our lives and our career to try and achieve success and happiness. Today, I speak with Lauren, and she shares with us her experience, her journey, and her life as somebody who is neurodifferent, and somebody in my view is a neurodiversity superhero. Enjoy. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. Really pleased to have you on today. If you'd like to tell our audience uh, who you are, what you do, and where you're from. Yeah, thanks, Theo. Um, I'm Lauren. I'm working at the Cabinet Office as a talent manager and also a neurodiversity coach. Um, I've been in the civil service for six months now, um, previously in the private sector, um, and I'm dyslexic and dyspraxic myself. So I'm really intrigued to hear more about your story and um, just to tell you a little bit more about me. So what does neurodiversity mean to you? You mentioned that, that you're uh, dyslexic and dyspraxic, which is great. Mm-hmm. I'm dyslexic and I associate with ADHD. I'm going on a journey myself. But what does the term, I guess, more broadly mean to you? Um, so I think historically it's always been, like not from my point of view, but it's always been about um you know, looking at neurodiversity as a cha- like a disability, you know, a challenge, a weakness. But I think quite the opposite. Um, I think, you know, it is a difference in the way that we think and look at things and perceive the world. But I think, you know, it should be, you know, we should be looking at how we can sort of challenge that. And also, you know, fundamentally, you know, we do think differently. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot around, you know, shaping our character, you know, especially around adaptability and targeting like delivery so I think it's you know I think it's a big umbrella term but essentially we're looking at the world in a different way and doing things slightly different and looking at you know looking at perspectives and things like that Um, and I'm really passionate about trying to help people along their development on this journey really wanting you know people to have a a fair chance to exceed and ensuring people have the right resources and the working environment to do that and I think it's all about looking at neurodiversity as a potential um, to exceed rather than it being a weakness. Yeah, I really agree. And I think that's something that we really have to lift the lid to. We have to let people know that it's okay to be uh, neurodifferent. It's okay to think and act differently. Uh, Actually, to allow managers and organisations to focus on the strengths of individuals and to see the good in people because that's what we want, right? No, definitely. I completely agree. I think we're not nobody is the same even if you're not neurodivergent so I think it's just making sure that we can tap in the potential 
everyone, you know, and making sure everyone can exceed where their neurodiversity. But I think um, in terms of the spectrum of neurodiversity, it's still got a long way to go. Yeah, I really do agree. It's just starting to take off. So, Lauren, what I'm really fascinated by is is your background. So, on the one side, you're uh, neurodiverse, neurodivergent, neurodifferent, however you'd like to describe it. <laughs> uh, and we can all choose how we want to be described, right? That's our personal preference. And yeah. um, but uh, also you've worked within the private sector uh, and now you work for the cabinet office. But you also have or you've created yourself an opportunity to focus around supporting neurodiversity. So I'm really interested in that. Can you, I guess, tell me a little bit about your background, your journey in, in your early life and yeah. then how you kind of came to be within these roles that you've that you've been working in? Yeah, totally. Um, so I was born in born in Spain. Um, kind of got through the sort of Spanish system no problems but then it was when I came to the UK um they always thought that I had you know a problem with my speech and writing and you know in even earlier having a spelling test when I was younger I can still remember them now being horrified um of like the spelling test and getting like zero and I I was given extra language classes but they just thought that was because you know I went to a Spanish speaking um school until I was eight um, you know got away with that and it was always something that I it was in the background it was something that I knew I should focus on always you know on my school reports it was just you know Laura needs to work harder you know she's being you know, not quite lazy but she's just not checking you know her spelling mistakes not checking um, the way she's writing um, you know and got and it wasn't until I I didn't I did actually ironically um, English A-level and we were looking at um disabilities in um children's like language and writing and I started joking with my English teacher saying actually you know I think I'm dyspraxic you know and she said actually I think you might have a point um but anyway I had I had this was like just before university and I was really really struggling because I would either get you know A's I think my you know I was getting A stars in my coursework because I was putting all the hours in but when it came to exams I was getting eased just because it all just fell apart under time pressure so they thought I was either you know dyslexic or dyspraxic and had something behind that and I got tested like months like a month before my A-level results um, trying to get into business school and I got diagnosed with dyslexia but it was just more in a sense of you know something to help me get you know the extra time in exams and they knew that something was wrong but it kind of fell through the system um, until I was about 18 didn't really know anything about it but it was just a case of just get you know just getting the A-levels getting to business school and I went to business school down in London um at CAS and didn't you know still then just you know got sort of my coping strategy was just putting all the hours in and just working long nights just to make sure you know make up my make sure my reports because I've always struggled with like report writing but just making sure they were just up to scratch so I could sort of pass through and just get there. And then I joined, so did placements, got through, but then it wasn't until I joined one of the big four professional firms um, and they started noticing, oh, actually, you know, I think this is a bit of a problem here because I couldn't, I was working long hours and travelling and I was doing financial exams, um, but they were just starting saying, oh, I think there's actually something here. And I, I didn't know anything, you know, really apart from what was online I had no sort of like coping strategies really apart from extra hours which no longer worked um and I was with professional firm for about four years looking at you know I was in audit consulting um and always struggled with report writing and it was just sort of under time pressures I just absolutely sort of collapsed 
and I think my way was sort of dealing with it and like overcompensating was like working with people people development like coaching the you know the grads just to sort of always trying to help the people you know could develop them further stretch them you know and especially under the sort of like uh, more like underperforming that's where I really like to try and help out and then really thought like people development and you know was fascinating to learn more about neurodiversity because I think where the sort of cracks lie in education and also in the workplace it's often often if it's about management awareness and teachers awareness and not just you know you've got the label um that they stick but it's more about what can you do about it it's not just oh let's put some workplace adjustments to ensure that you're you know you're meeting the bench criteria and I think I was quite frustrated just in the sense of you know you having to fit some sort of one peg one idea and I ended up moving jobs just because I found you know report writing wasn't for me and actually I was looking at my strengths I think it was just having to reflect actually a lot about where my strengths were and where they lay and sort of you know trying to come up with ways still where my weaknesses lie so joined the cabinet office um, as a talent manager but really wanted to focus on neurodiversity and I help um helped with the you know was now on the neurodiversity and network and just you know where I lie here and what I what I'm doing in the cabinet office is you know setting up workshops um with the neurodivergent you know trying to get people together to talk about it you know really you know like strengths-based assessments looking at people's feedback this is what I do generally in my day-to-day job but also trying to help people within my cohorts so what we do at the cabinet office I'm I'm a talent manager um, for a big group, 35, 40 people, and they all do postings around government. Um, so I have to have, re- you know, regular sessions with them to coach, develop them and help them see their potential. So what I'm doing with this and I'm trying to do it in in government is just, you know, trying to help people find a place where and work with them to push them as well, I think. And that's just coming from my own background um, where I want to help people not just get to the minimum like criteria and, you know, people, you know, people fall at the barriers, um, especially if, you know, they can't have the education. And I'm aware so many people fall before all these barriers and before they get into these jobs in the workplace, whether it's, you know, in university, but, you know, the ones that do get through. And I think that's another challenging um, thing in itself. But the ones that do get through this far, is trying to make sure that they do help, um, they get the help that is needed and they're not struggling. So I think that's where sort of my passions lie. Um, it's just really people um, people development and especially in the neurodiversity space. And that really resonates with me. Uh, that whole idea around finding part of your aspect of your role difficult and because you find it difficult, uh, whether it's report writing, whether it's um, you know whatever other element of your role that you find a challenge, you find other things to do. You find <laughs> other ways to fulfil yourself, and I, you know, that's something that I've done in my career. And, and I, I wonder how prevalent that is across neurodiversity, or whether it's specifically around dyslexia. You know, the fact that you see a wall, and I've discussed this with Claire uh, the other week. Uh, from LinkedIn, you see a barrier and you find your way around that barrier, you know, you've, mm. and it doesn't mean that you solve that particular problem. Maybe you don't. You go and solve another problem. For some organizations, though, that becomes an issue because they're quite regimented in what mm. they want you to do. And the fact that you can't do this small little piece of work here and you keep veering away to do something else becomes a problem for them. But long term in career development and aspirations and and growing your career, what it ends up meaning is you find that thing that you're amazing at, your ability to 
support and coach others uh, and develop them uh, is is the thing that really gives you energy and allows you to help others grow and develop. And, and it seems that you've you know found a wonderful place to be able to do that and it's really working well for you. Yeah, no, completely. And I agree with that. And I think I've seen that with other people who are, you know, on the neurodivergent, you know, some, you know, have completely different problems and, you know, report writing might be their strength or vice versa. But I do find people, you know, it, I do agree that I think there is that resilience um, and that adaptability adaptability rather just to get through um and find something that works for them and I yeah and it can take some time and I think it's just trying to help people along that along that journey to help them find it sooner and you know to recognize the fact that you know we're not we don't all have to be good at something we can be creative um I was recently at the V&A conference last week and it was wonderful um so I think a lot of people who are on the eye division are often quite creative but it was wonderful seeing how getting outside this traditional structures and using um you know their strengths and their way of thinking to develop something quite um creative and very inspiring I think you do find a lot of creativity and it, it is born out of I mean maybe you know the, neurologically there's something happening in the brain of course on the right side of the brain uh, however, I think it's that the journey that you have to take. Uh, I find that I struggle um, to write certain words and therefore I will think of different words and different sentences to write. However, hopefully for people who read my content, they'll find it a little bit different because I have an inability to write with normal words. You know? Yeah, no, and that's my way around it. No, I get that as well. I think if you looked looked at the way I write, it's very it's very particular. It's very concise, just because I, you know, I like to see things quite concise and quite structured. So I think when you read mine, it becomes quite apparent that um, that I'm writing it. I love that, and you know, that's what makes us all individuals, right? That's the thing that kind of uh, is exciting about neurodiversity around diversity of thought, uh, and this is what it can bring to teams, to organisations. So, I guess on that point. What, what have you seen within uh, the organisations that you work for um, that perhaps has worked or not worked? Uh, and what have you been able to implement or, or to support uh, around neurodiversity and around getting organisations, teams or even just individuals uh, to better arm themselves, to prepare themselves to be successful in the workplace? We have come far, but I think there's such a way still to go because I think, for example, workplace adjustments, I think it can often be, you know, a tick box exercise. Sometimes you are given sort of the tools, but I don't think the tools out there are the most most equipped or because everyone is so completely different. It's quite easy to put a group of people under a set of requirements that say this is what's going to help for you. It's not you know, it might not be individualistic enough. And, you know, I think that's a challenge in itself to work out a way to do that. I think, you know, the support there from the companies that I've worked from has been great. Um, I think one thing in terms of like management awareness, managers are aware perhaps, you know, that there are disabilities in the workplace, but I think it's, they're not perhaps well-equipped, nothing um, well-equipped in terms of, you know, how to respond to those. I think, you know, I think, you know, there is the, the, the support groups there but I think just in terms of like you know recognizing you know you know if they are given a task or something else is recognized or this might be approached a little bit differently and how do we how can we make sure that everyone in the team is aware aware but also you know 
can use benefit get the real benefits from the person as well I think adapting those things so so yes I think the great things are you know I'll just reiterate is you know the support groups you know the workplace adjustments I think the you know, the companies are taking the time and recognizing that you know they need to be like diverse inclusion like leaders and take this forward because you know so many people in the workplace are actually fit under that bracket um I think you know they were saying like 10 percent of people are you know dyslexic five percent of people are dyspraxic so that starts to quickly add up the um the workplace environment in terms of what i've been doing currently i think it's just you know, looking at people you know who are on your diverse and coming up with sort of development plans i think the key here is what needs to be done more is recognizing that you know how can we use neurodiversity as a strength and i think that can be a weakness in some organizers that they're not doing that and they're just sort of capping themselves out of that potential, that creativity. So what I've been doing in the cabinet office is making sure people have, you know, strength-based assessments, um, you know, thorough development plans, you know, workshops and getting people together as well. Because I think the thing with neurodiversity and anything that, you know, might put you into a sort of minority group is looking at um, looking at how we can bring these people together. And I think also what we're doing with the civil service network is looking at the overall like people strategy and I think this is one thing that organizations need to take forward is actually looking at like how making sure diversity isn't like a subset or you know of afterthought in terms of like people and HR strategy and you know we need to look how to best you know ensure the strengths from other people and I think when we look at HR practices often like performance is very much measured on some metrics but of course, people who are neurodiverse or even other groups may not follow those performance metrics. So I think that's one thing that we need to look at further is like looking at, you know, how we judge people, how people have performed. That's one thing that we're doing is looking at like how we are evaluating people and making sure people have a fair um, evaluation. So those are the things I'm looking forward to be working on further as well. It's important that hiring managers are supported specifically around how they work with those who are different and that may not just be neurologically different that is just broadly people who are different within teams how can we ensure that we get the best out of them and that we focus on their strengths now that comes down to being uh, to focusing on the individual so you mentioned it there you know we are individuals and i believe we have to treat every single person as exactly that we have to understand their individual needs and we can't keep grouping them up as one. Yeah. So no, we can't no. say that, you know, it's somebody who's autistic but has uh, challenges around mental health. They have challenges around mental health because they're autistic. That's not necessarily the case. There's, uh, you know, a huge wide variety of things that impact their life. And we wouldn't try and wrap up somebody else's uh, mental health challenges uh, in other things. You know, the individual comes to work, they have challenges. We try and support them and resolve those challenges and I guess if you were to look back at your own life if, if we all look at ourselves as somebody who is neurodifferent and the challenges that we've gone through the world that we've come through what would you say to your younger self if you could look back now and sit in a room with your younger self and say here's some advice what would it be? Yeah no um, completely and I also agree with what you were saying in terms of you know mental health I think it's too easy but also very dangerous in terms of trying to grouping people you know just because they've got conditional things I think you know mental health needs to be looked at appropriately and you know on a very individual level but what I'd say in terms of looking at my younger self I think it's just to keep going and I think there's often you know people quick to 
judge especially maybe like teachers or you know I'm from a very small town in North Wales and I think you know the opportunities um the opportunity you know if you're in a small from a small town or small area but just in general I think it's just to look at what opportunities there are out there for you and you know what are you passionate about and don't just follow follow what the you know the mainstream is for example like my hometown it was like very much like you know you had the doctors solicitors that very traditional very traditional subjects but I would say to myself you know firstly just follow where your passions are keep on going and where the teachers may be saying oh you're not going to succeed because you're doing x y you know you're not you're not as on these performance I think there's too much waiting on like what you are performing on a piece of paper I think you know just say keep going be strong but look look how you can do things otherwise and look where your strengths are and work on those and you know it's okay to actually not be as great on these certain things like do look at what you're good at and where your passions are really I agree so much it's difficult for individuals in that moment to try and focus on their own strengths because you have so many people around who are willing to tell you about those things that you're not very good at and it becomes a big barrier to overcome but just to remember that it's okay not to be brilliant at everything and that we can focus on those things uh, that make us special, that make us uh, superheroes, if you want to describe <laughs> it that way. Uh, uh, and I think that's a really lovely, you know, kind of final thought to think about that it's, it's all right not to be perfect, right? We, 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 yeah. None of us are, you know, we should step back and not call ourselves when there's plenty of other people willing to call into question our capabilities in life. And just think at the end of the day, as a, as a young person, you're going to get you're going to get there. You're going to get yeah. there. So many people have, have struggled through and fought through at the most difficult of times. And hopefully now we're, we're seeing the light at the end of that tunnel and, and things are really changing. And neurodiversity is really taking shape and taking form. And, and it's people like you who are going to make the difference. So, I mean, it's a real pleasure to be with you, Lauren. So pleased no. to have you on here. No, thanks and best of luck with the future. Yeah, thanks for you. Thanks for having me on. It's been lovely, absolutely lovely. You've been listening to Neurodiversity at Work, available on all good podcast hosts. Please do sign up now, like, share and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.